You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, it's Bridget here. I have the pleasure of chatting with Curtis Von Bellion. He is a master distiller of Atian Gin at Stillhouse 33 in South Africa. He's a petrochem engineer, passionate ambassador of craft distillers worldwide. He is a proud South African producer of uniquely South African spirits. Curtis shared with me the art of sustainability and so much more. So grab yourself an Atian gin cocktail and enjoy the show. Curtis, welcome to Served Up. It's a real pleasure to have you on our show. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And I know that it is um, in the evening as we record this in South Africa. Can you tell the listeners where you are tuning in from? So tonight I'm tuning in from Johannesburg, South Africa, where uh, our distillery is based, where we make uh, Etienne from. But, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of southern tip of Africa. Uh, as far as geographical location is, so the Atlantic Ocean between us. Amazing. Can you tell the listeners a bit about your background and how you got into the spirit industry? Sure. So, I mean, my, my technical background is that uh, I was a petrochem engineer, but, um, you know, I, I was from the Cape region of South Africa um, where we grow a lot of wine. And uh, I was, uh, uh, since varsity days uh, already, Making uh, brandy, so distilling off brandy from from wine, and uh, brandy and rum was always sort of close to my heart. Gin came later on. Um, sort of a lot of creativity in in gin for for distillers, um, and and we got a lot of really good uh, stuff to work with in South Africa as far as botanicals is concerned. So gin was a, a next logical step. Um, and there, there are so many more people who appreciate gin nowadays in the world. So so technical background. Um, was in um, designing equipment for distillation, really. Um, and it was always a, a hobby on the side and then eventually became a, a business on the side and, and uh, now a, a really big passion. You know, you mentioned something right there about the botanicals in South Africa. Can you talk a bit about that? You know, what are some of the more unique ingredients indigenous to your neck of the woods? And and why do you enjoy using them? Yeah, so I mean that's that's sort of a good introduction to to the gin atian. We'll, we'll come back to that now. Now, but uh, I mean, so so one of the very unique things about South Africa is is the flora that we have. So specifically the the Cape region, which is sort of, sort of the most southern tip of the country, um, we have what we call feinbos, um, and that, that's an Afrikaans word, so a language particularly to South Africa. And it means fine bush, basically fine leaf bush. Um, uh, so the Cape region is is one of the seven unique floral kingdoms in the world. There's seven. Um, the Cape region is the tiniest of those geographically, 
but they're most diverse as far as flora is concerned. So it has more species and biodiversity um, uh, from a flora perspective than any of the other floral kingdoms. So Fainbos specifically has um, a lot of uh, uh, flora, which lends itself very well to the making of gin, um, uh, essential oils that um, have you know not just a great bouquet of smell and, and flavor in them, uh, but also some antioxidant effects and, and, and health benefits uh, to them. So, I mean, they've been used as medicines uh, through generations of, of mankind. Um, but because we have this rich uh, diversity of um, uh, flora in the Cape, it really uh, lends to a lot of creativity um, for distillers uh, in South Africa to, to be able to go and reference uh, all of those and, and then experiment with them a lot. Uh, so it's, it's, it's more about the combination of uh, flavors and aromas that you can get from, from different botanicals and, and how well they pair, pair with uh, the quintessential juniper uh, berries, which, which have to be predominant uh, in a gin. So uh, the fact that our location over millions of years has lent itself to a very rich biodiversity it really helps uh, uh, us to be able to make unique uh, spirits, uh, unique craft spirits for for the rest of the world to enjoy, uh, besides our people here enjoying it. Um, but uh, really, we, we are able to make products that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's a, a positive for South African distillers, obviously, but uh, we are very keen on sharing it with the rest of the world um, and, and really showcasing uh, where we come from and what we can do uh, here in South Africa. So, I mean, specifically with uh, Atian, uh, we were looking to incorporate uh, numerous feinbosses in it. It's it's a rose feinbos gin. Really wanted something delicate um, to be able to entice uh, not just gin drinkers, but but people who are new to to gin. And um, the the rose elements that we've uh, paired with the feinbos elements uh, are not only unique, but they really are enticing. It's a, a fragrance that you won't smell anywhere else uh, or taste on anything else. Um, but it pairs really well uh, with a lot of cocktails and it, it really makes a refreshing gin that people want to drink uh, more of in cocktails uh, quite often. The, the sort of uh, terminology we came up with, uh, Atian, uh, it's an amalgamation of Atlantic and Indian Oceans. So it's where the Atlantic and Indian Oceans meet um, at the tip of Africa. Uh, that's the confluence of those two oceans. And, and that's how we came up with the name Atian. And that's because we really do want to um, you know, draw attention to where it comes from. And uh, you know, the reason for that is because of the diversity of that flora that we're using in it, um, it's important for us to let people know where it's come from. So it's right in the name um, to make sure they, they uh, know and read the story and, and hopefully appreciate it. Yes, I love that. And we're going to come back to the gin itself in just a moment, but I would love for you to paint the picture of really the, the culture and, and the hospitality and drinking culture of South Africa. Many of us, many of our listeners um, have never been, I'm sure, and we do have an international-based audience, but I think it would be really fun to understand, you know, what it's like to belly up to a bar in South Africa. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, if I'm to sum up uh, South Africa and uh, our people uh, enjoy spirits, yeah, uh, I mean, the biggest word uh, comes straight to you is outdoors. 
So South Africans love being outdoors. Um, you know, we we have such great uh, countryside, yeah, and it, it's really diverse. So if you're in the Cape region, it's it's very Mediterranean and coastal. Um, we've got a lot of mountainous areas that you know could be Switzerland-like. We've we've got bushveld, African bushveld that um, you know you don't find anywhere else. Um, you know, with, with game viewing and animals, and and we've got dams, lakes, and so really diverse uh, um, countryside. And South Africans love being outdoors. You know, the the thing they love even more than being outdoors is is celebrating for almost any occasion. So <laughs> generally, over here in South Africa, um, a, a party or a bry, as we call it, a barbecue, um, you guys call it there, is is a fantastic reason to uh, have a good drink and 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 share company with people. So you know the the top reason for um, sharing spirits in South Africa, I'd say, is is a company and celebration, and and being with other people. And then obviously, you know, as you mentioned, pulling up to a, a bar in Cape Town, you know, there's, there's a lot of trendy spots uh, there like Camps Bay and such. And um, you know, everybody in South Africa really loves gin over the last sort of five years uh, because of the creativity um, that is possible with gin. You can make a myriad of cocktails uh, with gin and, and you can make it look and smell and taste really exciting. And the ladies here really love over-the-top uh, cocktails um, in massive uh, glasses, specifically for for GNTs, um, and and you know they love the way it looks and and what they can ask for in it. As a distiller, we prefer uh, tasting the gin more than the the condiments and the the tonic and stuff that you add. Um, but you know we we definitely appreciate that they appreciate our product once it's all doled up as well. So we we find it being served a lot on the fancy beachfront uh, bars, um, as well as uh, you know nightclubs uh, in Joburg. Um, but my favourite spot, and and I'd say the majority of people is to to have it outdoors um, because we're so often um, yeah enjoying company outdoors uh, at various locations. I wish that the listeners could see just the sparkle in your eyes when you talk about you know, South Africa. Can you tell me what it is that you love the most about South Africa? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's always difficult to be put on the spot, but uh, South Africa is is home. Um, and uh, South Africa is very unique. I mean, we, we have our problems here, <laughs> of which I'm sure that most of the world is aware, as uh, usually in the, the media. But um, you, you can't really get South African people down. Um, they bounce back uh, no matter what. So it's indomitable spirit um, that you find among South Africans, a can-do attitude and really, you know, zest for life, um, wanting to get up and make something happen uh, all the time. Um, you know, Afrikaans saying is a boer mark a plan, which is a farmer makes a plan, which sort of sums up the South African spirit. So we always make something happen. Um, and, and, any South African who goes and lives uh, in another part of the world um, always comes home and appreciates uh, the people themselves because we're a different culture to the rest of the world. We, we may be strange, um, but it's definitely home and it's definitely our people. And there, there are some things, uh, you know, not many, but there are some things we do better than the rest of the world. And and <laughs> that's nice to know. Oh, my goodness. I love that. Well, you know, let's talk about Etienne Jen. Can you tell me really what what makes it unique and how was it founded? 
Yes, I mean, uh, Etienne's an interesting story. Um, in, in South Africa for years now, we've had uh, many good craft gins. Uh, the craft gin scene sort of exploded, yeah, about five, six years ago. Um, and I know many colleague distillers here who make really great, great products. Um, and, and there's a massive selection of really good craft gins uh, in South Africa. So our, our, our market here was very used to us producing those. But obviously, having visitors from, from other parts of the world, they started to recognize the, the real quality and, and creativity in South African gins, and uh, of, of which um, you know, some of the co-founders of Etienne in, in the U.S., had visited South Africa, tasted some South African gins and said, well, this is fantastic. They need to introduce it uh, to the United States. Um, you know, all, all the, the craft gins over here in South Africa, were, including mine, were quite inward looking, very uniquely South African. Um, but we felt we needed to create uh, a gin specifically for uh, the U.S. market, um, introducing uh, where it comes from and making sure the story is well known and that carries through in the product. So we, we decided to make a product um, from scratch, uh, make sure it represented the best of what we have here, um, make sure it represented the best of the region and, and made sure that we um, uh, get everybody uh, to taste it uh, in the US and other parts of the world. So, you know, we had decided it definitely needs to bear um, uh, the name uh, of where it comes from and and the story and that's why we started with the atlantic and indian oceans to to combine the names um uh to to make sure it had an origin we went through many botanicals obviously being a, a distiller i have many uh close at heart and you know you have this library of uh, uh tastes and smells that uh, you like to incorporate in in different products as you develop um and like I said before, we wanted something that was very elegant and 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 subtle, um, but with interesting uh, botanicals in that you wouldn't get anywhere else in the world. So we wanted to create a gin that would be incomparable to what the other commercial guys out there um, have, as particularly those commercial gins that do go to the US. Um, so we wanted to hang on to the fact that we need to be super premium craft. We really need to represent craft handmade uh, product and we need to be uniquely South African. And and for that, there's nothing more unique than the fane bosses that we are able to incorporate uh, with those. So the elegance comes from the rose uh, botanicals that are in there. The uniqueness comes from the fane boss botanicals that are in there. That's really cool. And for those of you who have never tried it, I do have a bottle here at home. It is truly a unique experience. It's absolutely lovely. You know, one of the ways that I'm enjoying it is an actually very bold and powerful cocktail that is, you know, a classic cocktail um, called a pink gin, where it's just Etienne with a dash or two of Angostura bitters. And I simply stir it really well and serve it in a martini glass, you know, in, in a coupe glass. And it is just a great way to end to end the day. It truly is. It's just lovely. And that Angostura bitter just makes all of those beautiful botanicals actually that you're speaking about just burst through the cocktail, you know, but it's not for the weak. It is for martini drinkers. Like if you, you want something that has a lot of fruit in it or lemon or whatever, um, 
pink gin's not for you, but for the martini drinkers, it sure is. Yeah, thanks. I make it myself. Distillers always appreciate when when people taste more of the gin than than the rest. But you know, we don't discriminate. Uh, we love that people <laughs> like like to drink our our product, whether whether you're putting fruit in or not. But uh, I always tell people, I mean, as distillers, we we usually don't drink gin; we taste gin. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, the best really is before you even drink the cocktail is to taste and smell a little bit neat, um, so that you can really take in all of the the botanicals and the fragrances. So, I mean, in Atian, you'll you'll get the sort of bit of citrus that we have in there first. Um, then you'll get the spicy elements. Uh, we have uh, one I really love is Cuba pepper. And and the spicy notes work really well with the juniper, which which you know is essentially a, a pine, um, and they play off of that. Um, and then you'll start to get the more earthy fainbosses. And then as as the alcohol evaporates more, you'll start to get the elegant rose elements, um, you know, of which there are three. And makes you think that sort of classic um, fragrance. Looking at our bottle as well makes you think uh, of old perfume bottle basically, and sort of reminds you that it's got that touch of elegance uh, at the end so re really I'm, I'm pleased you you've uh, chosen to drink it uh, with uh, as little as possible um, but really we, we do love when people get creative with it and and choose how they like to drink it um, because that's really what gin is all about um, in the modern day is is making sure people are happy when they are drinking it and, and smelling it and experiencing it and um, there are all sorts of ways to do that. And I think that's why so many people love um, the creativity that comes with gin and, and how you choose to drink it. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, like my husband is not as bold as I am maybe with drinking a martini. But one of the ways that I did prepare it for him was at Tian Gin. And I made a nice um, homemade sour, which is, you know, one part lemon, one part simple syrup. I gave that a nice hard shake, strain it over ice, and then I did a float of the pale rosé. So just a little float of rosé over the top, which just adds a, a, an additional crispness really to the cocktail and also enhances those, those notes, you know, for those that maybe um, like some versatility, let's say on their palate and with cocktails and like to have some fun. So it's truly mixable. But I love that it stands on its own. And I love that you can shake it up and throw that lemon in there or whatever else you want. It's going to come out delicious. For sure. I, I think you know, the floating a bit of rosé on top is, is really good. So the acidity of that will balance any sweet element that you've put in there and, and sort of play with the, the citrus quite well. But yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm always happy when people come up with uh, new ways and, and, and what suits them. And, and every palette is different. Uh, I mean, even, uh, you know, everybody smells things uh, differently because um, nobody's olfactory senses in their nose are, are, are located in the same place or, or get air rushing over them in the same way. So everybody actually smells things uh, differently and tastes things differently. And, and that's why, you know, people have their own personal opinions about what uh, goes well with uh, things as far as taste and smell is concerned. And, and, and everybody's different, but you know the the amount of blogs and and and, and recipes uh, from blogs that are out there uh, is really astounding nowadays. Uh, you know, and that's why we get versions of drinks that you never had before uh, because people couldn't show, showcase their creativity. Because um, you know there are definitely other people who would like to drink it as you are, are, are talking about now, 
and and I mean, it's nice nowadays that we have the ability to share these things, and and it really helps uh, enforce uh, gin specifically as a spirit because it's so easy to do. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, sustainability also seems to be very important to Atien. Can you share some of uh, your sustainability initiatives? Sure. So, I mean, yeah, in South Africa, sustainability is, uh, is, is really important to us. Uh, we're big on wildlife and we, we, we know one of our most valuable assets is, is the uh, nature that we have here. And, and people really enjoy experiencing that when they come here. So sustainability is, is really on top of uh, most craft brands' uh, minds in South Africa. Um, and, and I was very pleased that, um, you know, our co-founders in Aten uh, share the sort of respect for sustainability uh, that we do. You know, as we were developing and choosing uh, botanicals, the, the questions started coming up is, okay, what, uh, what sort of uh, damage could we possibly do or how do we ensure that this is sustainable? And, you know, then we started putting numbers together of, of how much uh, of what we're using in the production uh, of our gin. And uh, we sort of made a commitment to uh, be what we what we like to call Fainbos neutral or, or Fainbos positive. So, um, for you know, we, we we wrote down the charter to say that for for every um, plant or Fainbos that uh, we will use in our production, we need to ensure that at least two um, plants are replanted um, into the natural environment uh, to not only uh, sustain the Fainbos population, but to make sure we actually grow it. So to that end, we've partnered with a, a really great uh, foundation in, in the Cape called Fainbos Life. Um, they're also on Instagram and, and a whole bunch of Fainbos Life. And uh, they, their whole mission uh, in South Africa is to reintroduce uh, Fainbos to areas uh, where Fainbos doesn't uh, grow anymore, uh, to repopulate the, the landside to uh, make sure that there are tracts of Fainbos to connect um, to other tracts of Fainbos and, and ensure that we don't run out of our really precious biodiversity uh, in the Cape. So they um, grow uh, seedlings uh, of all kinds of Fainbos uh, from from start um, and then reintroduce them uh, through community-based uh, projects all over the Cape. So they have various initiatives going at any one point in time, um, various projects around the Cape. And uh, they uh, grow uh, the seedlings in the um, in the greenhouses, and then the community helps plant them. And so we create jobs uh, at the same time. So we we've partnered with Fanbus Life from the beginning. Um, uh, this year we also made sure they extended capacity by um, building another greenhouse, so sort of doubled capacity since we've partnered with them uh, as well. And that, and that's. Uh, Really good to see that uh, through expansion into the U.S., we've, we've actually ensured a, a more sustainability in the Cape, uh, specifically for for Fainbos. That's really incredible. So, I mean, you're just repopulating and making sure, right, that that from what you're taking doesn't actually take away from the crop. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, to what we call Fainbos neutral or Fainbos positive. So, we want to make sure we're we're adding to it rather than taking away. Yeah, that's that's a really beautiful thing and a really important thing. It's also important here in the U.S. and I believe around the world that we pay attention to what we take from nature and make sure that we're leaving it better than we found it. So 
you know, my hat's off to you and to your team for really taking the charge there in South Africa on that initiative. I think it's a really beautiful thing. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know that you also participate in some charitable initiatives as well around breast cancer awareness. And for those who've maybe never seen a bottle of Actian Gen, it is a beautiful package. But then the liquid itself is this just a lovely hue of rose. It's just stunning. Can you talk a little bit about the charities that you partner with around breast cancer? Sure. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the expert on it in, in the team, but uh, I mean, obviously, breast cancer, um, very uh, uh, close charities we like to support. And uh, particularly uh, now in November, it was breast can- cancer awareness um, that we were trying to push forward. Um, like you point out, ours is, is a very subtle pink hue um, and, and uh, obviously pairs really well with breast cancer awareness, which uh, is usually represented by the pink color. In South Africa, we even have some of our rugby teams that uh, play in pink jerseys uh, specifically for breast cancer awareness. So it's in South Africa, it's very well known um, uh, uh, time of the year um, for pink to come out. Um, so we really felt that uh, that was class- closely aligned with uh, the image we we're trying to uh, project. And, you know, it's, it's a great cause um, that almost anybody can relate to, I feel. Um, so uh, I was very happy when the team said, well, that's something we're going to support uh, this month and going forward. That's really, really amazing. Can you tell me a bit about your experience being, you know, really behind Etienne as the distiller? What's that been like for you? Well, I mean, for me, it's been fantastic. So, um, you know, we're a relatively small distillery uh, by world standards. Uh, we really are craft. Um, yeah, I, I lovingly distill every bottle myself. Um, touch almost every bottle that goes out. Our, our labels, uh, are, are, are our bottles are numbered, not just the batches, but each bottle is numbered specifically. Those are handwritten. Um, so you can really tell you are getting a, a handmade, uh, loved product that is going out. Um, what's been fantastic for me um, as far as Atian uh, is concerned is it's really given the ability to showcase uh, uh, distillery and, and our products to a large part of the world we would never have got to before. So I'm really happy that, uh, uh, you know, being represented by Atti and uh, a lot of people are going to get to taste our loved products um, in the U.S. and other parts of the world, which which wouldn't have been possible um, you know, just distilling uh, on our own. So really partnering with uh, uh, co-founders in the U.S., um, you know, we, we are very happy to be getting to a much broader market than we did before. And really to, to represent what we see as real craft premium spirits, um, which, which are really hidden by a lot of the commercial spirits um, in, in many parts of the world. Uh, what I find particularly uh, uh, positive about the U.S. market is, is the fact that they actually incentivize uh, real craft uh, distillers there. In that um, there's actually a lower excise duty rate in the states um, compared to the commercial guys, and that really um, you know um, gives a small advantage to the craft guys to to try and compete with the big commercial guys who obviously have much bigger budgets uh, as far as marketing is concerned. You know it's, it's it's much easier for them to buy market share. Um, 
so compared to other parts of the the world, I think the the US really does fantastically uh, as far as promoting real craft is concerned. I had no idea that you were the one behind labeling the bottles, filling the bottles, signing the bottles. Can you take me through the, a day in the life of Curtis at the distillery? <laughs> sure. So, uh, I mean, most days it starts really early and ends really late. In fact, I, I left early to be uh, <laughs> this evening just to talk about it at home. I mean, the, the process, I don't know how much you know about gin. Uh, but you, you get various uh, ways of making gin and, and various methods give you um, different quality of product. Um, you, so you get compound gin, which is the sort of lowest tier, and that's where you can sort of mix uh, uh, flavors, uh, gin flavors and, and other flavors together to make a, a compound spirit um, or what, we, what you can call a bathtub gin, um, you know, in the days of prohibition. People called it uh, bathtub gin because they would get alcohol from uh, uh, chemists, for instance, and then they would put it in the bathtub and steep like fruits and, and juniper berries and, and stuff in it uh, uh, to make what we call a bathtub gin, um, which is essentially a compound gin. And uh, um, that's the sort of lowest uh, tier. Um, then you get uh, uh, distilled gins, um, d- different uh, methods. Again, you can have maceration where you, you take the botanicals, you, you're trying to infuse and you put them in um, high strength alcohol and you let them steep uh, for various uh, periods. Um, and then you put that in the pot uh, that you heat up and you distill off um, the alcohol off of that. And some of the essential oils then travel with um, the ethanol uh, vapors before they get condensed down again, um, distilled um, into a flavored gin. That's one method of distilling. Then you also get uh, vapor distillation, which which we prefer um, because you can keep the temperature low and you can get very delicate flavors uh, coming through. Particularly the rose elements uh, do much better with a, a vapor distillation, which can be more delicate um, on them with, with lower temperatures. And that's where you, you take your dried botanicals and you put them in a gin head or in the vapor path of the column. So as you're um, uh, uh, distilling off ethanol vapors, um, and they're going up. They are then uh, the ethanol vapors are, are binding to the essential oils of those botanicals um, and continuing on as vapor, and then they get uh, condensed down again into a clear liquid. So when you are making uh, gin, what you want to do is you want to start with a completely neutral spirit. So if you are really making a premium uh, quality uh, spirit. You want to first distill uh, off what we call a neutral spirit. So it has no flavor and no taste to it. It's really pure ethanol. So it doesn't matter what base product uh, you're working off of. We're, we're incidentally working off of sugar and molasses. But you want to, uh, you want to ferment that into alcohol um, with yeast, obviously. And uh, once you've made the alcohol, you then distill it off um, using uh, compound refractionating stills. Um, and, and you're doing it at 96.4% uh, ethanol, which is basically the azeotrope of ethanol. So you can't get more pure than that at atmospheric pressure. Uh, you'd have to do it in a vacuum to, to get more pure. That 96.4% uh, alcohol, that ethanol is then obviously very strong. We then water that down with pure reverse osmosis water back to about 60% uh, before we put it back into a different configured still, uh, specifically for a botanical run. 
But the reason you do that, water it back down again, is you don't want to light up 96% alcohol. It might just explode. It's like jet fuel. So you, you water it down to 60%, you heat it up again, and you essentially still again, and you are now forcing the ethanol vapors to, to go through your botanicals and start to steal the essential oils from those botanicals. And that's where you really are gaining all of the gin um, flavors and aromas that you are trying to infuse into your, your final product before you condense it back down again to about 80% uh, alcohol. Uh, 80% in, in uh, US terms is, is like 160 proof. Um, uh, you guys use proof over there. And that 80% uh, uh, alcohol is uh, that distillate, we call it, is then proofed down to 43% uh, alcohol by volume. Uh, why 43%? And that's also different to the, the US system where your minimum alcohol percentage there for gin is actually 40%. Um, but in South Africa, the, the legal minimum is 43%. Um, so 86 proof over here. And we wanted to stick to that because we, we, we still want South Africans to enjoy the, the gin at end as well. Um, so, so that's why it's slightly different to, to the other US gins on the market, particularly the commercial ones. And uh, they would distill at the lowest uh, legal legally allowed uh, alcohol proof uh, because you pay duty according to the, the absolute alcohol in the bottle. Um, so there's an important distinction between um, real craft stuff from South Africa and, and commercial stuff that is available there. To come all the way back to like a, a standard day, um, it, it varies um, according to what we're doing uh, at that point in time, whether we're making a neutral spirit, which is then to be used later on uh, for a botanical run, um, you know, so it's looking after fermentations of, of sugar and molasses um, that are going to be distilled further on to make the neutral spirits. Also looking after distillations uh, of botanical runs as, uh, to uh, make the actual final product of the gin itself, proofing down um, to, to the required alcohol level, um, managing my team who, who helps with the bottling um, labeling, uh, boxing, uh, yeah, logistics, driving the forklift, uh, loading containers to <laughs> get to the US. Um, yeah, so a bit of everything really. Um, and, and then trying to manage all of that, uh, at the same time. Um, and at the same time, holding the real passion for the quality of the product, uh, that goes into the bottle, bottle at the end of the day. And, and, and we're really proud of that. Yeah, as you should be. There's so much work and really, truly human hands um, throughout every single step, particularly yours, Curtis, <laughs> you know, really being part of every single step. What do you hope that the future holds for yourself and for at Tianjin? So, I mean, we, we, we've got big plans. I mean, uh, we want to make much more at Tianjin. Um, we uh, also eventually want to bring out different variants, um, you know, the, the best part um, by a long shot of uh, um, uh, distilling is the creative uh, period when you are actually developing uh, and that never stops in the background, um, usually distilling uh, of something new um, to add to my library of, of smells and, and spirits um, and always thinking about what is the next thing I want to use to tell a story um, of, of flavor and smell, uh, taste that I want to represent to uh, somebody as a craft spirit 
um, of a particular place. So we have some uh, uh, ideas about variants uh, for the future that we would like people to taste also uniquely South African. Um, and, and that doesn't stop in the background. So we hope to grow at into a point where uh, people can appreciate not only our first product, but uh, the next ones, which will come in years to come. And uh, we do want to be in other parts of the world as well. So it's probably not just a US story. Eventually, we'll be exporting to all parts of the world. Well, I look forward to watching what you do, Curtis, um, you know, through Actian. Today has been just really interesting. It is not every day that we get someone on from South Africa. We have one other person that's been on from South Africa, but we've done, you know, hundreds of uh, over 100 episodes at this point. So it's a true treat to hear about your culture, all of the wonderful things that yourself and Antian is supporting through sustainability, you know, really giving back to your community, as well as lifting up breast cancer awareness. It's all great stuff. And at the end of the day, Etienne is delicious. So if you see a bottle out there, listeners definitely want to pick it up. It's also incredibly, the bottle itself is just very chic, just very beautiful. And it definitely stands out at your home bar or your back bar. So Curtis, with that, I want to thank you for being unserved up. I want to wish you, you know, just some great health and a whole lot of peace. Cheers to you. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us and giving us a chance to talk about ATN. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers. Cheers.